We'll be reading from 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 to 6, and you can find this in your pew Bible on page uh, 1,028, I believe, or 1,023. And it should be up on the screen behind me. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. I invite you to find your way back to 1 John 4, and uh, as we look at this passage together, and let's pray and ask the Lord to meet us. Gracious God, as we now open your word, we do pray that uh, we would hear you speak. Lord, of all the voices that we hear day in and day out, Lord, it's your voice that matters most. It's your voice that is greater and truer than any other. And so, Lord, give us ears to hear your word this morning. Give us eyes to see you. And give us hearts that are ready to be changed by the truth of your gospel. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have children, uh, you have no doubt gone through the delicate but sometimes necessary process of helping them understand the truthfulness of what their friends tell them on occasion. Some kids love to tell a good story, and some kids make a habit of telling incredible and fanciful stories as if they were true, uh, perhaps because they like the attention they get, or maybe they just have a hyperactive imagination, but uh, when our son Joshua was younger, it was not uncommon for him to come home from a play, uh, playing with a friend or come home from school and relate to us some fantastic story that he had simply accepted as gospel truth. Uh, one day he announced with excitement that his friend was flying him and some buddies to Australia. Uh, that, that same friend uh, uh, had told someone else that he was building him a jetpack and that he had discovered a new type of monkey that was native to Natick. <laughs> so, imagination is great. Uh, but when you begin to kind of see this pattern, uh, you know, of, of fanciful but untrue statements coming from your child's friend, you have this delicate but necessary obligation to kind of help your kids discern that, uh, you know, you, you can't believe everything so-and-so tells you. You have to consider the source. And the same is true 
uh, with other areas of life. Now, for instance, uh, there's a massive difference between the credibility of a headline in the Boston Globe versus the National Enquirer. Uh, you know, if I see a story that country legend Merle Haggard has died this week, in the same magazine running a story on Elvis's new restaurant in Quincy and cattle abductions in Wyoming, I'm not sure what to do with that story, whether to take it or not. But if I see the same news story on CBS or something, I can, you know, count that that's a, there's a pretty good idea that, yeah, Merle Haggard probably did die this week. So you have to consider the source. And that's, you know, this is common sense. This is uh, something that, that we do day in and day out. Not everything you hear is true. And an important way of being able to discern that is considering the truthfulness or the credibility of the source that you heard it from. You'd be foolish not to. But when we take that and apply it to the things of faith, to spirituality and religion, and if you suggest then that, that some voices speak the truth about God, but others do not, then we all of a sudden find ourselves getting uncomfortable and even perhaps accused of being narrow-minded or, or arrogant or judgmental for suggesting that somebody saying something about God might not actually be true. But the reality is, if there is such a thing as truth about God, that means there's also such a thing as falsehood and error, or even lies and deception. And if learning the truth about God matters, then it is just as necessary when dealing with the things of faith, when dealing with spiritual claims, to consider the source of those claims. Not every voice that claims to speak from God actually does. And that's exactly what John exhorts us to be aware of in our passage this morning in 1 John 4, 1 through 6. Now, it's been a few weeks since we've actually been in the letter of John together, and so I kind of want to take a running start into our passage this morning and remind us where we've been. Uh, John's primary goal in this letter, so far we've seen, is to help his readers grow in intimacy with God to grow in intimacy with God. He wants to help us abide in the Lord, as he puts it, uh, to make our home in him, to dwell securely in Christ, to find the rest that our wandering hearts can really find nowhere else. And so he wants us to experience a real joy-filled fellowship with the God and maker of this universe. That's his goal, intimacy with God. Because the reality is, One, that's part of what we were saved for. The Lord has made himself known to us and redeemed us that we might have that kind of intimate relationship. But second, all of us find ourselves in seasons of spiritual dryness in our relationship with God. Uh, We feel distant at times or unsettled. We feel like our relationship is kind of superficial. Uh, It's disconnected. We may worry that we're missing something in our relationship. And we may even get to the point sometimes where we wonder, do I even know the Lord at all? And John wants to help reassure his readers in the truth and sufficiency of the gospel. Uh, That the good news that they believed uh, in the beginning, the the message of the gospel of John and other gospels that, that 
Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in his name, John wants to reassure his readers that that good news is still the good news that they need to grow and to know the Lord, that the gospel is sufficient. But there's also an edge to his letter that we've seen. There's an urgency in the way that he writes because there were some who had left the church he's addressing and had begun to teach really what amounts to a different gospel, something uh, suggesting that, yeah, we want to know God too. We want to have intimacy with God too, but the way you get to that is not really through Jesus, but some other way. And these folks had gone out and were teaching this and were trying to influence the people John's writing to. And so he's got a little edge to his letter as well. He alternates between encouraging them in the truth of the gospel, reassuring their faith, and also warning them against these false teachers. And one of the ways we've seen him kind of help them discern this and reassure the church he's writing to that, that yes, your faith is true, you are true children of God through faith in Christ, one of the ways that he's been reassuring them is by offering three tests of authentic faith. We've seen the test of doctrine so far. Believing that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. That's one of the tests he holds up. The test of obedience, not making uh, sin a practice of our, a common practice in our lives, but pursuing holiness. So the test of obedience. And then the third test that we've seen him bring up twice and we'll come back to again next week is the test of love. Loving one another in both word and deed. So it's not that, that uh, these three things save you. Faith in Jesus Christ is what saves us. But sound doctrine combined with obedience and love are evidence that that faith is real. They reassure us that in the truth of our faith. If these three things are true of you, sound doctrine, obedience, and love, then you can be confident that you abide in God and God abides in you. It's one of the things John's been helping us to understand. And the last time we were in First John, we looked at the second half of chapter 3, which focuses on that third test, the test of love. But as he kind of concludes that argument and wraps it up, Look with me at the very last verse, the last phrase of chapter 3, uh, in verse 24, toward the end of it. As he begins to transition out of that message and, and focus into the theme that he's going to address in our passage here. So the end of verse 24, he says, And by this we know that he abides in us, by this, by the Spirit whom he has given us. So among these different tests, as we kind of pursue God, an intimate relationship with God, marked by love and obedience and and focused on a faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit bears witness to the truth of our relationship. That's how John lands his argument in our last passage. He reassures us, the Spirit reassures our hearts that we truly belong to God. But... Just because someone appeals to the Holy Spirit as evidence of their faith or of their teaching doesn't necessarily mean they're speaking the truth. And that's the point he now focuses on here. Not every voice that claims to speak from God actually does. And so his concern here in chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, is what he calls this, this call to test the Spirit's. Uh, Notice how he starts and ends his section 
by calling us to spiritual discernment. So if you look at chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. That's how he starts the passage. Look at the very last phrase of verse 6. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So the whole thing he's talking about in this section is this call to be able to discern the truth of, to to consider the source of what spirits we are listening to. Now, that's kind of a strange way to talk, if you stop and think about for a minute. What spirits are you listening to? It almost sounds like we're talking about a seance or something weird like that. Uh, But John tells us what he means by testing the spirits in the second half of verse 1. So if you look again at verse 1, He says, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone into the world. To test the spirits is to identify a false prophet or messenger. To consider the source of the spiritual teaching that we are listening to and taking in and discern whether that teaching comes from the spirit of God and is therefore true or whether it comes from the enemy of God and is therefore false. Test the spirits. Because the reality is that we are surrounded by voices, uh, both within and outside the church, that seek to influence our pursuit of God. Uh, You know, the books that we read, the friends that we talk to, the preachers we listen to, uh, the podcasts that we subscribe to, the blogs that we frequent, the talk shows that we watch, um, we're surrounded by voices that all want to weigh in on telling us what it looks like and what it means to have an intimate relationship with God. And these are not nearly, or these are not merely neutral voices. They reflect instead a spiritual battle behind the scenes. The Holy Spirit who leads us to Christ and the spirit of what John calls the Antichrist whose goal is to deceive us and lead us away from Christ. There's a spiritual battle behind the the myriad of voices that we listen to. And so being able to identify which voices speak a message from God and which ones don't is critical. It's critical to our personal relationship with God as we seek to grow and know him, and it's critical to the health of God's church. Uh, Which voices are we trusting? And so... Because of that reality, John gives us two uh, tests in these verses for identifying the spirit behind the messages that we hear. Uh, The first is to look at the content of the message, and the second is to look at the company that the messenger keeps. So the first test has us look at the content of the message we're hearing. The second test tells us to look at the company that the messenger keeps is keeping. And so we'll look at these two tests together. The first one is what I call the standard of the gospel, verses 2 through 3. So to consider the source of a message we're listening to, a voice that we hear telling us how to know God, in order to do that, the first test is to evaluate the actual content of that message. What are they actually saying? And does it affirm the truth of Jesus or not? That's the first test. So verses 2 through 3. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses 
that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now already in the world. And so the first test is really very simple. Does the message that we hear come from and point us back to the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus Christ, or not? That's the first test. Because if it doesn't, then it's coming from some other source, which is offering some other solution to how to know God, other than Jesus. And so every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. For John to... uh, Uh, For John, what he means here by confess or acknowledge Jesus Christ having come in the flesh, really that's kind of shorthand for acknowledging the whole truth of the gospel. That's what he's after here. The essential message of who Jesus is and what he's done to deal with your sin and my sin through his life, death, and resurrection. Affirming that truth of the gospel to John kind of summarizes that. He uses several different shorthands to refer to that message throughout his book. Sometimes he talks about whether someone believes that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, in chapter 2 and chapter 5. Sometimes what matters is that they confess that Jesus is the Son of God, in chapter 4 and chapter 5. Or even right here in verse 3, to simply confess Jesus. And all of these are shorthand a way of referring, does this person affirm the biblical gospel? As he emphasizes it here in verse 2, the incarnation of Christ, that Jesus Christ is the one having come in the flesh. And he's probably emphasizing the incarnation here, one, because it seems that the false teachers had begun denying that, that denying the true humanity of Christ. But also, again, it's a way of signaling the whole, redemptive, the whole redemptive significance of what Jesus came to earth to do. He's the one who came in the flesh, namely, as true God and true man, in order to do for us what we could not and would not do, that is to obey God perfectly, and to take upon himself the sin that that we have committed, and the penalty for that sin, that he might rescue us from our sin and restore us to God. Jesus Christ is the one who came in the flesh to do that. So, if you want to know whether the voices that you are listening to in your pursuit of God actually come from God and should therefore be trusted, the number one test is whether they affirm this gospel message, whether they affirm the biblical truth of Christ. You can think of it kind of like uh, learning an instrument. If you pay a ton of money for music lessons, you should expect that your teacher would have a strong grasp of music theory. Not that they would just have a, you know, know a thing or two about how to strum or where to put your fingers on the trumpet, but that they would know how music works. Music theory not only grounds their instruction of you and how to play that instrument, it not only grounds it in reality, but really everything that they're teaching you flows out of and applies that music theory to your endeavor to try and learn how to play this instrument. So the theory is not just the ABCs of learning an instrument. It's really the A to Z of it. You never move on. It is the 
the foundation that informs everything you're doing in trying to learn an instrument. And your teacher ought to know that well. The same is true of the gospel in our pursuit of Christ. Believing in who Christ is and what he's done for us is not just how you begin a relationship with God. It is how you begin a relationship with God. But it's not only how you begin a relationship with God. It's the same thing that draws us deeper into that relationship and strengthens us at every stage of growth. Because there is no other power for knowing God better than what Christ has accomplished for us in the cross and resurrection through the power of the Spirit. There just There is no other power available. And so at every stage of life, to grow into intimacy with Christ is to have the Spirit of God apply to us in ever-increasing measures what Jesus has done to make us new. That's how spiritual growth happens. And so if the voices we're listening to don't have that theory, aren't teaching out of that theory, aren't applying the gospel actively, they're not worth being listened to. They're not worth trusting if they don't affirm the gospel, the person and work of Christ. And if they don't affirm it, John tells us that they're not merely neutral voices. They're not just playing an inferior quality of music. They actually make a deadly noise. They are opposed to God and come from his enemy, the Antichrist. If you look at verse 2 and 3 again. And, and this isn't the first time John has mentioned this mysterious figure, the Antichrist, the, the guy that, you know, if you're making a good thriller movie, you might include him as a character or something like that, one of these end-of-the-world type things. That's where we usually hear people talking about that in culture today. Or, or uh, you know, as we try and put our head, wrap our heads around uh, what the end of the world's going to be like. But John has already introduced this character to us back in chapter 2. And if you were here with us when we looked at that, you'll remember that how on the one hand, there is a singular figure coming at the end of time who will embody Satan's agenda in a particular way. But this person is already at work, if you will, in the present through people who represent his message and advance his agenda. You've heard that Antichrist is coming. I tell you, many Antichrists have already come. Or John says here, uh, you heard he was coming and is now already in the world. And his agenda is quite obvious. If you are anti-something, you are against it. So an Antichrist is against Jesus Christ. That's his agenda. To lead you away from Christ. And his means of doing that are through deception. And so we need to understand if, if the voices that we're listening to as we seek to know God are not pointing us to Jesus, that means they're pointing us to something else. And that means they represent a voice that does not speak from God. We have to consider the source. And yet... John, uh, even as he exhorts us to, to test the spirits, true to his style, he can't, he can't warn us too harshly for very long without turning around and encouraging us in the middle of it. And that's what he does in verse 4. To give us confidence in this call to test the spirits. He reassures his readers that they are from God and that they will overcome these false teachers. They will not be deceived by them, in other words, but they will hold fast to Christ. Because 
the spirit of Christ who is in them is greater than the spirit of the Antichrist in the world. Verse 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you, the spirit of Christ, is greater than he who is in the world, the spirit of the Antichrist. And so John wants us to be diligent, to stay on guard, to test the spirits, to consider the source. And yet, he wants us to understand that in that process, we have a critical advantage. Through Jesus, the Holy Spirit is already in us to guard us and to guide us and keep us dependent on Christ. We have a critical advantage as the people of God. He helps us discern the difference between the the life-giving music that comes from God and the the deadly noise that comes from his enemy. And so if you truly belong to Jesus, you will be guarded from apostasy. That's what John is saying here. You'll be guarded from denying the faith if you really belong to him because the Spirit of God gives you ears to recognize the voice of Jesus. We should have great confidence in Christ. He's the one who saved us. He's the one who's able to keep us to himself. But don't let your guard down. John goes back into another warning. So warning, encouragement, another warning, another test. In verses 5 through 6, another test for considering the source. We need to look not only at the content of the message, the voices we hear, but also at the company that the messenger keeps. That's his second test. I call it fellowship in the truth. A test of fellowship in the truth. And so another way that we consider uh, where this message we're hearing comes from is to look not only at what the person says, but who listens to them and who they listen to and affirm, the company they keep. Verse 5, they are from the world, therefore they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever's not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error, or falsehood. Are the voices that you listen to as you seek to know God more, the books we read, the sermons we hear, the people that you seek counsel from, are those voices known more for their following in the world or for their commitment to follow Christ? When someone has a large following in the world, uh, we're tempted for that reason alone to kind of give them a high credibility. You know, uh, if 48 million people trust Oprah for spiritual advice, how can she be wrong? We equate popularity with trustworthiness. We, We just, it's kind of by nature. We have this thing in us that's drawn to celebrity culture. And so if someone's popular, we think they must be trustworthy. And, and of course, those things aren't mutually exclusive. You can be popular and trustworthy. It's, you know, just because you're one doesn't mean you're not the other. But popularity by itself, especially when it comes to discerning where the message is coming from, is not a reliable measure of credibility. Popularity by itself is not a, a reliable measure of credibility. But, but it's not even so much how popular or widely celebrated someone's message is that concerns John. But whether and how at home that message is in the world that has turned its back on Christ. 
What John is concerned about is how at home is the message that we hear in the world that has turned its back on Christ. If the same world that rejects Jesus and his word praises some celebrity's recipe for spirituality or or some neighbor's suggestion about some new way to know God intimately, if the same world that rejects Jesus praises that message, you probably have a problem. Similarly, if the voices who promise spiritual breakthrough or a revolutionary new way to experience God at the same time reject the apostolic message of Jesus, that he is eternal son, fully God, fully human, came, lived a life of perfect righteousness and gave himself for us on the cross, if they reject that message, there's probably a problem. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. They have fellowship in falsehood. That's the company they keep. But, John says, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever's not from God does not listen to us. We hear John speaking, I think, both as an apostle and witness to the gospel, but also as part of the community of faith in the gospel says that the church has fellowship in the truth. That's the company we should keep. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And so reliable voices, as you seek to know God more, we need help in our, in our walk with God. We need help. We need to listen to others. Reliable voices not only speak the gospel, the first test, they also receive and affirm the gospel as handed down by the apostles the second test. And so another way to consider the source is to look at who affirms that message and whose message these folks affirm. Do they have fellowship in the truth of Jesus? So how does John, in his charge here, help us navigate the uh, myriad of voices we hear today? You know, when you do find yourself, as all of us will, find ourselves spiritually dry, or disenchanted, feeling like I'm missing out on something in my faith, that this is not the way I I thought Christianity was going to be more than this. Uh, When we find ourselves uh, frustrated and and disillusioned, and and someone comes along with this must-watch video that's going to change your life, or or a a book, or, or something, how do I put John's call to test the spirits into practice today? Well, I want to offer four principles or strategies for applying this passage to this task today. Uh, four tests, or not tests, but four strategies for using John's tests as we consider the source of the voices that we hear, whether they speak from God or from the enemy. Uh, so number one, reject voices that reject the person and work of Christ. Reject voices that reject the person and work of Christ. Now, this should be obvious from everything that John has said so far. Uh, If the test of reliability is affirming the gospel and fellowshipping with those who affirm it, then it should be obvious that any voice that seeks to influence your pursuit of God while at the same time denying the message of Jesus is not a voice to be trusted. It has nothing to offer you. It is false teaching and should be rejected as such. 
And so whether we're talking about other world religions today that, that deny who Jesus is and what he's done, they deny that he's died for our sins and rose again, great world religions like Islam or Buddhism or Hinduism or, or modern variations like New Ageism, or whether we're talking about kind of pseudo-Christian religions, so religions that will use the language and customs of Christianity while denying the essence and heart of the Christian message, the truth of Jesus and salvation by grace through faith in Christ. You can think of Unitarianism today or Mormonism or Jehovah's Witness. They use the language, but they mean something very different when they talk about who Jesus is. And they deny the power of the cross to save us. And so, so these are not neutral voices. And we need to recognize that. It's not that many different roads lead to the top of the same mountain. It's not. And if that were the case, then, then essentially what we're saying is that Christ died for nothing. That he wasted his blood on the cross. Because really you can get there any other number of ways. But the Bible tells us something different. The Bible tells us something different. That, that Christ did not die for nothing. That he died for you. He spent his blood for you and for me. His life for your life, your sin upon him. And so as Peter proclaimed in Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So reject voices that reject the person and work of Christ. Now that doesn't mean we shouldn't engage people with differing ideas or listen to them and, and so on. That's called friendship. And you ought to do that. You know, it's called being a good neighbor. Um, but there's a difference between engaging and dialoguing and trusting. And that's what John's warning us against. Anyone who would reject the person and work of Christ, love them, listen to them, engage with them, but do not trust that message if it has nothing to do with Jesus. That's, that's the first one. So, Reject voices that reject the person and work of Christ. Number two, ground yourself in the Scriptures. Ground yourself in the Scriptures. That's the second strategy we can use in putting John's message into practice. The single best way to train yourself to identify a counterfeit is by studying the real thing. To know it so well that you can spot a departure or a contradiction to it easily. Again, to go back to the music analogy, if you know a certain song really, really well, you recognize right away when someone's singing the wrong lyrics or when they're singing the wrong tune or, or off-key even. And so if we're going to be able to examine messages against the standard of the gospel, it follows we need to know the gospel really well. We need to be grounded in the message of the Scriptures and the truth of Jesus, which means we need to ground ourselves in the Bible. The, the way to know the living word is to listen carefully to the written word, where he's made himself known to us. And, and you know, Jesus tells us that the whole of Scripture is ultimately about him. We saw that last week in Luke 24, when Pastor Bruce walked us through one of the conversations Jesus had with his disciples after the resurrection. The way that he kind of showed them that he really was risen from the grave was to give them a Bible study through the Old Testament about how the whole thing was ultimately pointing to him 
and his cross and resurrection. So if you want to know Jesus and be able to identify when people are talking about the real Jesus, you need to ground yourself in the scriptures. You need to live in this book. Number three, beware of voices that separate the spirit from the word. Beware of voices that separate the spirit of God from the word of God. As you know, we seek God, sometimes in our zeal for the Bible, it can come off as kind of this um, nerdish book knowledge. That we're really excited about information we're learning, but there's not real there's not much spirit or heart really there. And sometimes it comes off that way because that's how we're approaching it. We're approaching it as kind of this academic endeavor as opposed to a relationship with God. And and it can be tempting when, when we feel that we're stuck in relationship with God. It can be tempting to think that the problem, therefore, if that's what, how I'm used to approaching God, that the problem is with the, <clears throat> excuse me, with the Bible itself. There's something, uh, or, or with the Bible alone. And so what I need is to, to move beyond the scriptures and just listen directly to God. If, 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 you know, if I were really spiritual, and we hear voices telling this quite frequently today, that if you were really spiritual, you could just listen directly to God. That if you want to go really deep with God, if you want to be on the varsity team, then you need to move beyond the Bible and listen to the Spirit. And so these voices might not deny Christ, but they drive a wedge between the Spirit and the Word. As though what we need is some new revelation that's going to take us to the next level. And one of the points that John has been laboring in his letter to make is that the key to intimacy with God is not some new revelation, but an old gospel. That's one of the the drums he keeps beating through this book. What has been preached from the beginning? Go to the text. Go to the gospel. That's how he starts his letter. You know, what we've seen, this, this message from the beginning... And throughout, whenever he talks about the Spirit in both his, his longer gospel, the book of John, and in his letters, the primary role of the Holy Spirit, according to John, is to bear witness to Jesus, to point us to Christ as a testimony to the tradition, not as a source of new revelation. That's not what the Spirit is doing in John's letters. And so we should beware of any voice that tries to separate the Spirit of God from the Word of God. Whether that means they're approaching uh, the Word of God without the Spirit, as just kind of some academic exercise where I just learn new information. That's That's separating the Spirit from the Word. Or whether it's approaching the Spirit of God without the Word of God, as though we don't really need the Bible and its emphasis on Christ. After all, You think about which member of the Trinity gave us the Bible. Jesus didn't leave us a book from his earthly ministry. The Father did not come down and pen these words with his own hand apart from the tablet that we don't have. It was the Holy Spirit who inspired the Bible. And so it's a strange thing to want to listen to the Spirit while neglecting what he has gone to so much work to say already. So... Beware of voices that separate the Spirit from the Word. And then finally, number four, beware of voices that minimize the person and work of Jesus. 
Beware of voices that minimize the person and work of Jesus. While it's obvious that that John would have us reject voices that reject the person and work of Christ, we should also beware of those that kind of sideline that. So so teaching that, that doesn't deny the truth of Jesus or the gospel, but neither does it ever talk about it. And so, you know, you look at what they teach, and the gospel's not really a necessary ingredient into their program for spiritual growth. That should be a flag in the voices that we're listening to. Uh, And so today, you know, we have this proliferation of kind of self-help Christianity that's full of practical suggestions and programs for growing in intimacy with God, which are not a bad thing. We need to get practical. We need to, we need help. But they're full of practical suggestions that have almost nothing to do with the person and work of Christ. Uh, The gospel's merely assumed in the background, but it's not explicitly applied. And so it's not really the functional power for change. The power for change, the key to intimacy, if it doesn't come from the gospel, has to come from somewhere else, though. So where's it coming from? Either the program or curricular that the teacher's peddling, or from you. That's very often where it comes from. Here's a program for revolutionizing your spiritual intimacy with God, and the whole thing sits on your shoulders to make it happen. That's so much of the stuff that comes through the pipeline these days. You have to try harder, believe harder, name it, claim it, declare it until it's yours. And if you don't, I guess you don't have enough faith to really know God. That's the message that we hear. But what we have to realize is that if we've come up with a way to know God intimately that doesn't deny the gospel but doesn't really have anything to do with it, then we are dangerously close to preaching another gospel. And some have already crossed that line, I think, in this whole world of self-help Christianity. John wants us, he wants you to find intimacy with God and security in the Lord, to, to know the joy of fellowship with the Father who made you the Son who saved you, the Spirit who is in you. He wants you to know that and be secure, to come home to God, to abide in Him. And He knows we need help doing that. We need help from one another. We need books. We need teachers. We need each other to speak into our lives. But He also knows that not every voice that claims to speak from God actually does. And so we have to consider the source against the standard of the gospel and fellowship in the truth. Because the only voices worth trusting in our pursuit of God are those that are anchored in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Gracious Father, Lord, we do want to know you more. And Lord, I will be the first to confess that that there are times of deep dryness um, where we feel disconnected and feel like we're going through the motions and that, that Christianity should be something better than this or more than this and we feel disillusioned at times. But Lord, I pray that in those moments you would meet us with the true gospel, Lord that you would bring us back to the good news of who 
Christ is and what he's done to give his life in our place, to rescue us from our sin, and to fill us with your spirit to make us new. Lord, would you bring us back to the truth of the gospel? Would you lift our eyes to see you more clearly? Would you help us live not out of fear or performance or guilt, but out of faith and joy as your children? Would you restore to us the joy of our salvation, God, as we get wearied and beat down by this world? And would you guard our hearts, Lord? Thank you that the one who is in us is greater than the one who is in this world and that we can have confidence that you will guide us in all truth. And so, Lord, we pray that your spirit would do that, that you would give us eyes to discern the various voices we hear, that we would grow in fellowship, in truth, and according to the standard of your gospel, and that we would not shake our nose in kind of a self-righteous superiority at those who who speak a different message, Lord, would we not be angered so much as grieved, Lord? Would you break our hearts for the lost? Would you help us to recognize that our enemy is not this teacher or those people, but the evil one, and that they are uh, deceived, Lord? And so, God, would you break our hearts and give us a desire to speak the truth in love and to lay our lives down in compassion and grace? Lord, there's no difference between us and anyone else, save but the grace of God. And so, Lord, would you help us rejoice in that grace and live out of that grace as we serve you. In Jesus' name, amen.